0: Morning family. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, where am I right now? Okay. Yeah, good morning. Uh, Hannah and I, um, we just got back yesterday from uh, our first getaway since, we, since before we had Levi. Um, and I think now I understand that the getaway means getaway from the kids. Uh, I didn't really understand that prior. But when you have multiple kids, getaway is less about like, the ah, oh, getaway. And it's like, getaway. Um, so that was a, we were in Dominican Republic, actually. Yeah. I figured that would get some woos, some, some spicy woos. Uh, and Dominican Republic is, is, is beautiful. It was both of our first time there. It was beautiful. Um, the, the weather was amazing. Uh, the water was amazing. Um, I discovered something, though. Uh, about Dominicans. Hear hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. (laughs) Dominicans in the Dominican Republic genuinely with their heart of hearts believe that I am Dominican. At the airport, in the taxis, at the, at the hotels, there was this, like, yeah, we're a Dominican thing that they were giving me. And uh, until they try and talk to me, and then I am exposed for the fraud that I am. You know, I, I, I kind of, like, I was able to, to blend in somewhat seamlessly uh, until I got called out. Um, and then Hannah would, uh, Hannah would be like, "Oh, he's actually, you know, he, he's half Ecuadorian." As kind of like a, "Don't be mad at him," like, pass. Uh, but I, 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 don't, I can't speak Spanish. Uh, I, 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 like, yes, I am in fact like half Ecuadorian, but I, I grew up in Africa, and I didn't have to learn Spanish until my junior year in high school in America. So I, I only was taught how to say, "Can I go to the bathroom?" And here are the sports I like to play, and that was like the extent of my education. Um, so it was it was inter- it was weird, like like blending in until this moment of hey, let's let's dialogue because we're we're from the same place, and uh, and I, I, I got nothing. I would stand there looking confused or looking at Hannah because Hannah speaks Spanish. So I was like, hey, please help me, please. Uh, but that, that concept of blending in until you get caught out is actually kind of what's, what's happening. We're going to be continuing our, our study of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the church that we're going to be looking at today, um, Jesus addresses, uh, it's called the church in, uh, in, in Thyatira, and they also blended in um, to what a healthy, growing church is supposed to look like. Uh, things seemingly were going great. But we're going to read that their blending in also brought in dangerous compromise that threatened to have them uh, lose their citizenship as God's people. Um, so blending in was seemingly the, the, their attempt, uh, but in that same blending they brought in a lot of problems that we're going to read about right now. So Revelation 2, we'll start reading from verse 18. Revelation 2:18 18 uh, says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like, a, are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Let's stop right there. This is how Jesus introduces this church. Um, uh, calling them, call, uh, calling them the, the, their name, the church in Thyatira, and then identifying himself as the, the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning fire, um, and, and and the burnished bronze, and then he highlights these four things that they seem to be doing very well: uh, love, faith, service, and perseverance. I mean, if, if if those those are things that I think any self-proclaimed Christian wants to grow in, and what Jesus is acknowledging here is that you guys are not just doing this, but you've actually grown um, in this area. Now, I think some background of the church in Thyatira is important here. Um, the, the the city, interesting, it's it's a, it's the smallest. Uh, geographically and also the population of any of the churches that were uh, that had letters written to. Um, it was also one of the few places during this time that there was no violent persecution at all for, for Christians. Um, no one was threatening their lives um, for, uh, for, for being Christian. Um, Thyatira was known for having talented workers. Bakers, potters, linen weavers, silversmiths, wool workers, uh, bronze craftsmen. If you lived there, you uh, you produce things that people wanted. Actually, in Acts, um, in Acts 16, Lydia, the, the rich woman that, that was working with purple cloths, she's from Thyatira. This is this, this, her, 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 her hometown. Um, so people knew that the hands in this city were putting out amazing quality and amazing volume. These were people with jobs. Thyatira, if you could just like, like this, this is a place of working, working, talented people with jobs, actually. So when, when Jesus says uh, blazing fire and burnish bronze, it's of course a specific um, a symbol of God's power and authority, but it's also like a kind of like a witty homage to what the people there would have seen all the time. There, there were bronze workers there. There was lot, lots of fire was used to to produce what um, uh, what, the, what they were putting out. Now, before the gospel reached Thyatira, before the church. Uh, the main god that was worshiped there was the, the god uh, Apollo, the, 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 the sun god. Um, that was their, he was, from their perspective, in charge of their success. The sun comes up, we work hard, and then he blesses us by giving us good product. Um, the, the heat that the sun is, is putting out, we can kind of capture some of it and make fire and use that to make all these other things. So they worshiped the sun um, before the gospel got there. Um, in addition to that, the businesses functioned kind of, bless you, uh, functioned kind of like someone sneezed, uh, like unions, uh, or specifically they'll call them guilds. So what that would mean is that like the the bakers had a guild; they had a little union uh, to themselves, and they had their own specific like culture, and the the potters had a guild, and everyone's kind of in in unions, and there was an idea that was circulated around the city that said, if you wish to get ahead in this world, you must belong to a guild. So if you lived there, not only were you working, but you were also very attached to the the specific union or guild of the place you were working. This is going to be important, what we're going to read next. In verse 20, it says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Okay, we'll stop there. Now, a lot of the Book of Revelation um, is written in in code, uh, so there's a couple of ways that we can take this introduction of Jezebel here that most scholars will believe will like agree with. Uh, no one aggressively disagrees with, with any one of these sides, but, but there's one there's one camp that says that right here. Um, Because in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 16, um, we're introduced to Jezebel. Um, Jezebel marries King Ahab. King Ahab is a weak-willed coward uh, who constantly disobeys God and is actually awarded with the title of none more evil, none more vile um, because of his compromise. Um, She takes over after marrying him and systematically slaughters the prophets and priests of God's people um, to make room for 450 fake prophets. To come in and cultivate idol worship within the Israelites, um, uh, the, the the head wor- the, the the most important idol that she put out there was um, was Baal. Um, Baal worship was her main ideology. That was a god of fertility for uh, uh, for them. And the way that you would honor this false god was by having sex with the prostitutes that she brought from her hometown in the temple. That was how you praised the god of fertility by by sleeping with the prostitutes that she brought in. From uh, for, from her, her uh, hometown, she sweet talked Ahab, and Ahab said, "Yeah, let's make this what the people of God do now." Um, and those 450 prophets were the same prophets that that uh, had that that like battle with Elijah on Mount Carmel, where they had the, the fire come down. Like these are the same 450 guys that end up getting killed um, after losing uh, pretty dramatically to God, as they will as they will. But Jezebel is the one that brought them in. Um, so Jesus brings up the name Jezebel, and he may be talking about a woman actually right now in the time of the church in Thyatira who was preaching the same kind of things that Jezebel was uh, was promoting back in 1 Kings and get, trying to get the church to adopt her teaching. Or um, he's using Jezebel as kind of a title or a... Uh, uh, or, uh, or an insult, actually, uh, to describe someone or a group within the church that's kind of pushing the same kind of idol worship agenda. Regardless, and there's like two or three other potential ideas, but regardless of which one it is, the, um, which one is most accurate, the reality is is that God's rage burns against compromise and, and idolatry within his church. Jezebel in 1 Kings gets thrown out of a window, and her body is eaten by dogs as punishment, For what she was doing. Jesus warns a similar outcome to this specific Jezebel or group Jezebel, whoever's promoting false teaching in the church in Thyatira, because God doesn't play around when it comes to compromise and idolatry. In verse 21, uh, it says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Um, I will strike her children dead, uh, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So it's pretty intense, but i got to be honest, at this point reading the text, I was like, great, but I don't really connect with any of that. that was this, this, I, I get it, there's these, these people, they're, they're, there's idol worship, but like, that's not really me, or not really like, where we live anymore. And I, I, I found a, a disconnect with what I was reading and what I could apply to my life today. Until I researched more about these guilds and these unions. Um, so, if you were a baker, you were in the Baker's Guild, and you were expected to attend and participate in all guild activities to hold your membership in that guild, including yearly festivals and feasts set up to worship the god Apollo who was understood to be responsible for the success, the success of the entire guild. So it was, it was this, like if you lived there, the implication was that you were part of whatever guild is in your craft, and you had to go to all of the events in order to maintain your membership, because if they thought that someone who should be worshipping Apollo is not, then they're, that's going to bring bad luck onto the, the, the business, and they're going to get rid of you. Now, in the previous churches, they had their lives at risk for standing firm in the faith. The church in Thyatira had their livelihood at risk for standing uh, uh, firm in in the faith. Uh, Apollo worship was mandatory for your guild membership, and saying no meant you could get fired. You could lose your job if you said no to this. The dilemma was, and still very much is today. How do, I, how do I succeed and advance in my work and career and still put God above everything else? That was the challenge with this church here, and I think that is transmitted all the way through. It's right here, right now. How do I make more money? How do I get more success? How do I get a promotion and a rate? How, do, how can I make my family's life better and more comfortable? and still put God above everything else many of them in the church in Thyatira chose job over Jesus and the warning here i think travels to us as well and that's where this becomes a very much a 2020 america new york city situation where it's all about do you make like like advance yourself and right here there's a warning there's a very very like strict warning that says if you're going to choose your job over your Lord, you're in trouble. You know what I find interesting? When, when, when I look at my schedule, is that if I'm trying to fit something else in my schedule, and I look at it, even just like like, like physically, the thing that often seems most flexible are my responsibilities as, as, as a Christian. It's like, you know, I, if, if I need to fit more time to do something here, I can move around who God needs me to be to find time for, for other stuff. It's, it's funny how how things like if, it, if, if as a family we're going to meet as commanded by Scripture in the middle of the week, so not Sunday like the rest of the Christian world does, we're going to add an additional time to meet as the Bible commands the Christians to do, and it becomes this kind of optional, if, I, if it fits with my schedule, I'll be there. If it fits with, with, with my already established lifestyle, I'll be there. Or if it comes to times that, that, that I can get uh, spiritual guidance in my life, no, that's, that's, that's a luxury that I don't need. If it comes up, sure, I'll, I'll take it. Um, and, and these things that, that the Bible and Christianity hold as these are vital points of what it means to, to, to be attached to God to God's holy people becomes the most movable pieces in our schedule. Because it's very easy for us to put other things... Above, above God. I remember bending over backward for my bosses. Like I worked, I worked at a, a, a group home, and I don't know. Oh, yes. So during Hurricane Sandy, I was I was clocking out, and I, I called my boss, and I was like, Hey, I don't think anyone should come in right now because the wind's you know getting really bad. How about, like what if just just call the staff? I'll just stay later until the wind dies down. And she was like, Actually you know, thanks for volunteering. We're gonna have you go to a different location and cover someone else's shift. There was dangerous winds outside, like actually dangerous enough that it, it's it it snapped my door almost off the hinge completely when I tried to open the door. But my boss said go somewhere in the middle of Hurricane Sandy and I was like, Yeah, okay, yeah, well sure, I'll go. Like putting my life literally at risk. And I have I have I have thought about not going to church for rain. I've thought about not coming to service because it was cold outside. But my boss said drive through Hurricane Sandy across Long Island. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And I think what what that communicates about my heart is that there's something about God that I'm just refusing to acknowledge and taking that piece that should be for him and giving it to my paycheck and giving it to my employer, and giving it to my savings account, where God is saying, no, 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 you got to do whatever for me, and I'm not even asking you to do anything crazy. But I was willing to, I literally lost the door of my car by driving in unsafe weather, because my boss told me to. But God forbid we make a change in how we do church. God forbid that there's, there's a, a time change or a location change or a leadership change or some change that is designed to better our relationship with God, it's like, ah, I don't know, i got to go somewhere else. I don't know if this is the right, right place. I don't, I don't like where this is going. But if your boss asked you to change locations, it's like, well, i gotta, I got to get paid, so I'll go. The church in Thyatira had this same exact conflict how do we put food on the table and provide for our children if it means worshipping these false gods and still claiming to be christians colossians 3:23 says you have to whatever you do work as if you're working for the lord i have i have felt this and and remixed it to be well, then if I'm doing that, then if my boss is Lord and my boss says go, then I got to go to hold to this passage. Not at all. This uh, Colossians three twenty three puts Jesus above your boss, above the company, above your livelihood, and says, work as if Jesus was watching. That's. You know, the, the, you know the, the, the what would Jesus do bracelet and the, just the, the, the idea. I think it's – it makes sense. There are some times, though, that Jesus did stuff that we're not allowed to do. So it's a little bit – there are times where there's kind of like a disconnect there. But if you look at it as like what would Jesus tell you to do or what would Jesus look at and feel good about and what you did, that – if you can carry that into the way that we function in corporate America – then we don't take extra shifts if it cuts into our relationship with God. We, we, we don't gossip at work to, and, and slander our, our bosses or, or, or coworkers. We, we, we don't... Man, uh, I was working at, at Five Guys at a dark, dark time in my life, um, and I remember very clearly every day the, 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 the managers and the rest of the, of the staff would, would rape girls that walked by the store. It was the, it's, a, it's a glass, it's glass, and it was just kind of an understood event that happened dur- during the work shift. And I'm new there, I'm trying to make a good impression. I was told that I could become a manager if I worked hard enough. The managers are the ones that are doing this game. What, what do I do? I've, I've i've made i've made a ton of mistakes not mistakes i've made a lot of bad decisions in my life i have got myself in trouble uh, <laughs> too often i am though very proud of my telling them no as a 20 22 year old no actually 20 year old uh, college student that just didn't like i'm not I'm not going to participate, guys. I'm sorry. Like, and, and I and I and I like girls. Actually, I have a very attractive girlfriend, and I don't want. I'm just stop stop asking me. I remember that happened. I mean, we're talking about months of well, Stephen, what about her? Stephen, what about her? And and then uh, one day, this girl comes in to the register. And I heard my boss like, hey, let well, what about her? And it was Hannah. And I was like, well, that's, that's actually mine. So uh, that's kind of why I haven't been looking at the others. Uh, but I think that like that, I, who, who would know? If I ju- even if I don't give a number for the rating, I could still look. No one would know. But I think if if the way that we conduct ourselves at work, we got you you got to choose. Are you going to put your reputation at work above God? Listen, I've I've made plenty of mistakes, but I think I, I you know it's important, especially as men in the workplace. It's so vital with all of the craziness of manhood in the world today. It's so vital that we are above above reproach at our jobs. And honestly, not for culture, not for not not even for manhood, but just because of God. Because of who God is, because of who Jesus is, and because if we put the, if we put how our coworkers look at us above Jesus, it's idol worship. And the punishment is not nice for idol worship. Everything we do, we have to do it as if we're working for the Lord and, and, and not for man. Even if it means looking crazy at your job or at your family or at the barber shop. Like whatever it is, we have to make sure that we're keeping this in mind. In verse 24, uh, it says, uh, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, uh, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Accept to hold on to what you have until I come. Now, this is an interesting um, add-on that, that you don't, we don't actually see in a lot of the other letters, that Jesus actually pinpoints a group of people within the church that are not compromising. Like, he, he highlights, like, to you guys that are holding firm to me and not letting this other false teaching seep in, just hang in there until I get back. Hold on to what you have until I come. And I got—I gotta say, like, like why would he need to say that, other than the temptation to do it? Like, if if no, if that group was like hey, Listen, I'm 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 down no matter what. Nothing can faze me. There's no need to tell them to hold on. But I do think it's important for us to understand that sometimes, like, struggle is part of the process. Like, struggle in the way the Bible talks about it. Like, if you're struggling, that's a good thing. Struggling is what Jesus did every day of his life. Struggling was, was, the, was actually, you, you could even say, the nature of who Jesus was. Because he had to constantly fight with his flesh and then God's plan for his life. All the time, never messed up. Never. So I think if, when we say, oh, bro, I'm struggling with so-and-so, it's like, are you struggling? Or are you just doing it? Because you're not struggling with immorality if you're being immoral. You're not struggling with lust if you're being lustful. You're not struggling with pride if you're being prideful. You're just doing those things. Struggling is when you com- combat the thing, and you don't give in. Actually, the, the, the word uh, um, it's, it's agonizomai. It's, it's agonized. It's the same word used for like re- for wrestlers at the point of contact. It's a fight. It's an actual like like not pretty, violent, just like gritty fight to hold on to Jesus' teachings. Struggling. Not compromising or giving into sin. The struggle is part of the process. It's okay if you feel like, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. Because you know who else felt that way? Jesus Christ. Jesus. The guy that, we're, that the guy that makes all this possible has a very, very sincere, you know what, God? I think I'm out. I don't, and, 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 and th- th- that's not in the Bible for dramatic sake. That's in the Bible because Jesus thought it. It's like, I don't know. I don't think this is, is there there another way that we can do this? And we're talking about the Son of God. So if you're going through a hard time, and if you feel like, I'm not sure I can keep going, you're in great company, because so did Jesus. If we struggle correctly, the outcome is perseverance. But if we see struggle as evidence of, okay, I guess I need to quit, that doesn't really work with anything in life. Like, in what other scenario is that okay? Like, if, if there's traffic and you choose, ah, I guess I'm just not, not going to go anymore because it's traffic. It's like, what? That doesn't make sense. You push through because you know you have to get to the place. If, 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 if you're trying to get something done and, and, and something get, like, gets in your way, you struggle through it because you know that what you're getting at the end of it is so much more valuable than, than the struggle. Just hold on until he comes back. Just hang in there until he comes back. Uh, two weeks ago... Actually, I would say most people don't know this. Uh, so I actually like I, I, I cook and like cater. Um, and two weeks ago, I got the chance to uh, cater a close friend of mine's wedding. Um, 200 people. Uh, it was a, a pretty uh, unwisely ex- like like deep menu. Um, I probably should have cut things out, but I didn't. Um, and the plan was that I was gonna start cooking Friday afternoon. And just cook right through the wedding dinner time Saturday uh, Saturday afternoon with no breaks because you know just just have to do that. Um, and I had a plan. I had like I had an hourly breakdown. I had all the shopping stuff done. Um, I I actually gave myself a six hour window as a buffer if things went wrong. Like I, if, if if something goes wrong, I can fix it in six hours, no problem. Uh, I, <laughs> So the first thing that went wrong was that I had ordered these little plastic cups that we're going to put the the ceviche in, and they got sent to Jersey instead of Harlem. But I called Amazon, like, hey, like, the address says Jersey, that's a mistake, can you guys just go ahead and send that to me? Oh, sir, we're sorry, we'll take care of that right now. And then I got the alert that the the, package has arrived, and sure enough, it arrived in Jersey. Um, so now I have to Uber an empty car from Jersey to Brooklyn with these cups. The first three Ubers, I guess I thought it was like a drug deal. So they, they actually said no. Um, like, no, I'm not going to take a box from, no. Uh, <laughs> the, the guy that, so one guy says yes, great. That kind of set me back a little bit, but not that big of a deal. Then the stove stopped working like one in the morning. Like in the middle of a long, like, one of, like a, a long cook for the, for the brisket. Uh, The stove just stopped working, but I can finish it on the, sorry, the oven stopped working. I can finish it on the stove, though. It'll take more time, but we'll be okay. And I start to smell something around the fridge, and I'm thinking it's the garbage, but I don't have any, like, food in the garbage, so it shouldn't smell bad. And I get close to the fridge, and I open the fridge, and I had maybe, like, there's, like, nine trays of food that I've already cooked in there. The fridge had kind of become a microwave, like, something short-circuited inside, and it was hotter inside the fridge than outside the fridge. So butter is, like, melting through the stuff. Like, all the dairy in there is gone. Um, just, just a mess. And I'm still thinking, I have, I have this six-hour window. I'm going to have to make some adjustments, but, but we, can, we can fix it. Um, and, oh, the, the, the sink, they had a garbage disposer sink with no switch. So I have a sink filled with, like, water and, like, gunk, and I can't clean my pots and pans anywhere because the sink is full. And I, I, I went to the bathroom to kind of clean in the bathroom, but the sink is too shallow to fit in there. And now I'm thinking, okay, things are kind of getting crazy. Let me get the food that I have already in the car so that it will save me transport time and I can have more, more room. And I have two trays, and I walk out, and the door closes behind me. And I was like, "Oh yeah, the keys are back in this apartment that, I, that doesn't belong to me. I'm cooking in someone else's apartment. He's not in town, and my wallet is in there as well." So I called. I called the. The the the. I called. I just called someone, and they're like, "Hey, like, dude, like, we can't let you in. We don't know who you are. You can't prove who you are, and you don't live there." So, and I've also not slept for at this point over 24 hours, and. Before the panic, there was kind of a laugh, like, "Yeah, obviously, like this, this is—it's me." So, so of course this will happen. But I, I, I like, like, what do you do? Like, this, this isn't, this is an actual wedding, <laughs> like, pe- like there's, there's going to be f- family and like, it's a, it's a wedding, and I ha- I'm locked out. I don't have any means to get back in the car, uh, uh, into the, into the apartment. And, um, you know, Hannah is constantly kind of f- fixing my messes. Actually, where I went wrong is not having Hannah with me the entire night. Um, I think that would have smoothened everything out. Um, and that was my, uh, that was my, my mistake. Uh, but I called Hannah, and she she figured out how to get an, the, the spare key um, to the apartment. But it, it, this set me back like two hours, though. Of, of that already, six hours, I kind of got, you know, uh, messed up, and I did have this moment where I felt like I'm just not going to do it. Like, like what, what, like what do you want from me? Like, I've, I, I set, I set up extra time. I like, I covered all my, like, I, I have extra things. Like, I, I've, I did all the stuff that you need to do for bad things to not happen. And now I'm stuck outside this apartment, and the wedding is in two hours. I'm just going to call and say, like, hey, sorry, guys, like, uh, I, I don't have, it's just not going to work. But then there's too many people involved at this point. There's 200 and, 220 people that are expecting food to be delivered. My quitting affects so much more than me. So many people get negatively affected. By my, I don't know, I don't know if, if if I can do this. I couldn't afford to quit at that point. I was I was too invested. There was there was too much that I had prepared, and there, there was there is a wedding. There's people that need this. Quitting just was you know, even if I have to not finish something. I can't, I can't just say I, 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 I give up. 220 people. You know, on average, the average adult uh, in their lifetime, at least in America, will have 150 meaningful relationships. I think this it's called the Dunbar's number. Dunbar doesn't know true Christians, so I, I imagine that ours is probably a little bit more than that. Um, But on average, 150 meaningful uh, relationships where you know their life and they know your life, um, and you will interact with 80,000 people in your life. 150 meaningful and 80,000 just like, and that's, 80,000 is is working off three interactions a day for an average lifespan. Uh, There's too many people involved for us to quit. Just too many people. This just, it's, if, if, that, if that 150 meaningful relationships, if they all have that same circle, that's 22,000 people that you are connected to just with one degree of separation. Struggle is, is part of it. Like having hard times and, and, and needing to push through and, and things not going the way that you planned and, and, and doors closing behind you, even after you set everything up so you not mess up. Struggle is sometimes part of it. But we can't give up. There are way, way too many people involved. And why, why am I talking about perseverance again? Hannah actually brought that up yesterday. It's like, it's perseverance again. Uh, and I thought about it because it's true. Like, like it, seems, it seems like, like wherever I'm, you know, even in my, my personal Bible study, I keep, I keep writing down, hang in there, don't, you know, don't give up, uh, because the last instruction my father ever gave me Was to hold on. That was the last thing, that was the last coherent statement my dad made as a human being on this earth. He told me, oh man. Whoa. Uh, He told me to just, like, just, just hang in there. Uh. When uh, when we arrived in um, in DR, the pilot did the you know the, the necessary hey you know stay in your seats we're going to be circling da da da, and before he like clicked off, he said welcome to paradise. Um, I paid for that trip from the work that I did with the catering. And. Well, there are way too many people involved for us to quit. But if you zoom in on just yourself, just for one second, as real as it is, kind of block out the noise of the people that rely on your light. Just bring it into you. The reward for persevering through hardships is paradise. Like, you you get... You're only going to have to live a difficult life once. Just one time. Just one challenging, like, just frustrating life. One time. And then we get an eternity of paradise. And I know it's, it's such a hard concept for us to, like, grasp because we think in straight lines when it comes to time. And, like, because we've never experienced eternity, it's kind of like, oh, you mean like a thousand years? So, like, no, like this. It's past measurable time. It's just a permanent existence of paradise. And I do think that I need to think about that more. I need to think more often, more deliberately, that the paradise that we're promised should push, push me past compromise right now. Because compromising right now means potentially handing over the paradise, which then means you live a difficult life and then you get a difficult eternity, which just doesn't seem like very logical. Um, we're used to working hard and going through challenges so that we can provide for our family or, 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 or we, can, we can buy an engagement ring. Like, like there are things that we look at as, this is going to be tough, but goodness, the outcome of this I'll take it. The church in Thyatira, they were comp- there were people in there compromising. And Jesus' instruction to them is to stop. Now, there were some that Jesus highlights. So you that who are not compromising, hang in there. I'm going to assume that the Harlem church are those that are not compromising. We are the ones that are not letting something else come in and tarnish God's perfect instruction and mess up our eternities. If we are this small group that Jesus is highlighting at the end of this letter that says, hey, you guys just hang in there until I come back. Then let's hang in there until he comes back. Amen. Thank you guys very much.